Once upon a time, there was a little boy called Howard who loved writing stories. Little Howard dreamed of being a writer And so he sat down to every nighter But everything he wrote was fucking shite, yeah wubba dubba do wubba dubba do Worst writer in the world 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 He's a stupid Hello everybody and welcome to this episode 9 of The Mystery of the Golden Bus. Hooray! By Howard Long. Hooray! Yes, but you may, you may so remember good. he writes really good things and he always finishes them. Uh, he always <laughs> yeah. finishes them. Well, uh, he definitely, definitely <laughs> always finishes them. Right. I mean you say that Howard, yeah. but I mean that is demonstrably untrue. Right. Because last week we came to the end yeah. of The Mystery of the Golden Bus and you didn't even get them onto the boat. (laughs) It's all about a bus trip to Spain and they didn't even make it onto the boat. (laughs) So now we are in a situation where we've got all these listeners, Mm -hmm. they want to know how the story ends Mm -hmm. and you you haven't delivered. Young Howard has let them down. Yeah, well, I mean, but old Howard, right? Yeah, has he's, also he's, let them down. He's an even bigger letdown, isn't he? Because <laughs> yeah, he didn't do it he either. Done it, he hasn't he? done it either. Fortunately, yes. guess who has? Oh, is it Stephen uh, Fry? No. <laughs> oh, no, you, gonna, everyone's going to be disappointed now. No, I wrote the ending. I wrote an end to the mystery of the Golden Bus, especially for you, Howard. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I always wanted to know how it ended. Well, now you're going to get to find out. <laughs> uh, so let's start with the plot so far. This week's plot so far is by me, Young Howard, perhaps the most prolific, unpublished, underage writer in the world, decided that he could write a better children's book than all those stupid adult writers (laughs) like Roald Dahl and Tolkien, because unlike them, Howard was a child and he knew what children wanted and he wasn't dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, so no, Howard was a child and he knew what children wanted, Mm. namely... A story with 22 main characters. <laughs> 18 kids from the Colville School for Gifted Children. <laughs> with, with ages ranging from 6 to 14. Yeah. All got on a bus to go to Plymouth, where they would catch a ferry to Spain. <laughs> on the bus, they were mostly quite well behaved. Except for Cara and Sarah, who threw a balloon full of piss at Rafe Dix. <laughs> <laughs> who was the driver of the bus and not... The symptom of a sexually transmitted disease. (laughs) (laughs) The worst traffic jam since dinosaur times meant that they were late getting to Plymouth and had to stay in a motorway service station hotel for the night. Fortunately for them, it was a gold hotel with a disco and a casino and a swimming pool and a 24-hour shopping precinct in it, which had recently fallen through a wormhole from Las Vegas. Tom Haining, the cool young teacher with a leather jacket probably... (laughs) booked everyone a single room because he had a big bag of money to spend, <laughs> to spend. and was a moron. Yeah, because that's the thing, is that they had to spend the money, otherwise yeah. they'd give it, have to give it back, maybe, or something. Yeah, um, absolutely. We well, you know, like, a, when it comes to Christmas, and all of a sudden they start digging up the roads, that's because they've got, um, the local governments have got... Fine, uh, yeah, they've got yeah. budgets to complete, yeah, 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 otherwise they get a lower budget the next year, yeah. So it's like that special, be. the Colville Special School mm. has got all this money, and they're like, quickly, what to spend go, it, what go we on doing? a bus trip! It's going to buy a gold bus! <laughs> Then Tom, Ken Parker and Rafe Dix 
headed straight to the casino where Rafe lost all his money and his bus. <laughs> Meanwhile, the kids were up to no good. Kara and Sara were trapping the lifts on the top floor, dropping buckets of water on Miss Stone's head and playing in a swimming pool with the least responsible lifeguard ever. Did was it a bucket of water or was it a bucket of piss? I mean, like, I don't think we have decided. And also, I think we cut that out, so I don't think that's even in the final. But if in the actual story, mm. there was a part where they balanced something, yeah. either water or piss, on the top of a door and it dropped on Miss Stone's head, right? Yeah. And um, that's before they dropped a swimming pool on her head. Yes. They're always dropping... That's a theme, isn't yeah. it? Like, she's yeah. always getting water on her head. Yeah. It's that theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the theme of... <laughs> water on head theme. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great theme. Shakespeare could learn a lot from yeah. me. <laughs> from his imaging systems. My imaging system of, like, <laughs> dropping water on Mrs. Stone's head. Tommy, Brent and Danzy broke into a snack machine using Tommy's set of skeleton keys. Well done. Well but, done, Danzy. Yeah. No, Dan, that is Danzy. I'm Danzy. Yeah, hello, mate. Hello, me. <laughs> well done, me. Yeah. Yeah. But after they'd robbed all the crisps and chocolate out of it, yeah. they found themselves in a moral quandary. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there was nothing wrong with breaking into a vending machine <laughs> and taking all the contents without paying, yeah. but then to keep those items yeah. would be morally wrong and mean they'd have to go to prison or hell or something. Mm. They thought about giving their swag to charity but realised that charities don't usually accept crisps, so they went to ask Polly. Polly was religious and therefore <laughs> would know what you're supposed to do after you rob a snack machine. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's in the Bible. It's covered yeah. in that's the gospel of Saint... <laughs> snack machine robber. Fred. Yeah. <laughs> Polly suggested opening a shop, <laughs> which sounded like the most ridiculous idea since Howard wanted to rob a public telephone box with a sledgehammer. <laughs> but actually... That was a good idea, though. But actually, she just meant sell the crisps to the other kids out of a bag. <laughs> because young Howard's idea of opening a shop was the same as everyone else's idea of putting crisps in a bag. <laughs> Everything worked out fine. The boys never suffered any reprimand for breaking into a vending machine. No one learned anything and no one had to go to prison or hell or something. Mm. Meanwhile, Arthur also robbed the snack machine because he had finished his two suitcases full of cake mm. in no more than 15 hours, which probably should have got him in the Guinness Book of World Records, but no one cared because no one spoke to or noticed poor Arthur ever. Not even Howard mentioned him very often, and he certainly didn't write him any friends. <laughs> Unless you call a suitcase full of cake a friend, which no one does, except maybe Arthur, because he hasn't got any other real friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jenny had been one of the unfortunate corners of a love triangle with Nigel and Derek, which had then become a love square when she started fancying Marcus, and then a love pentagon mm. when Marcus snogged Amy. Nigel and Derek became friends after they assaulted a police officer <laughs> and cemented their friendship by watching gay movies together <laughs> naked. <laughs> Weren't naked, Pretty sure even. that's what happened. Yeah, they were sucking each other's gay venom out. Right? So yeah, that that's true. Been. Well, that did yeah, happen. That yeah. I can't deny that. <laughs> Alison, Claire, Anne, Polly and Amy went to a 24-hour restaurant to hide under a table and sit on each other's faces, mm. while Carlos went to the bar and ordered milk. Straight from the waitress's boots. <laughs> that did happen, yeah. yeah. I mean, it didn't, but... <laughs> it did. He then went to play and win on the £10,000 jackpot fruit machine, another common feature of motorway <laughs> service station hotels. Uh, then Carlos won Rafe's bus back, 
plus another 11 buses <laughs> and a big bag of money, while Kara and Sarah dropped a swimming pool on Miss Stone's head. Miss Stone was annoyed and flat but alive and suggested that they all run away from the hotel before the police turned up and put them in prison or hell or something. Do you think after that balloon full of piss, that bucket full of water and that swimming pool full of water, um, the last place she'd want to head is towards the ocean. <laughs> yeah, it's just going bigger. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want the ocean on your head, Miss no. Stone. So they all drove to Plymouth and went to a museum. But before they could actually board the boat, which was going to be the main part of the adventure, Howard gave up. Hmm. And no more was written. Until... 20 years later, when his best and only friend Rufus took over and wrote a very exciting conclusion. Brackets, and that's in the plot so far, so it's canon. <laughs> will they make it onto the boat? Or will they decide to go back to the service station hotel because they all had such fun there? <laughs> oh, will they? Will the characters who got <laughs> no lines in Howard's bit be allowed to speak now I've taken over? Or will I find them as dull as Howard did? <laughs> Will Rafe Dix call his new bus company Rafe Dix Day Trips? <laughs> and if so, will anyone ever hire him? Find out in The Unknown 18 and the Mystery of the Golden Bus, Stage 3, Ooh. The Jolly Boat Trip. Yay! Chapter one. Chapter one? Yeah, yeah, it's in like five chapters. Oh, because the parts They're have very chapters. Short. Yeah, the parts yeah. have chapters. Exactly. Yeah, I'm okay. following your pattern, don't okay. worry. Yeah. Chapter one, three men on a boat, brackets, and 18 kids and a woman, close brackets. Yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Chapter one. While Miss Stone and Ken Parker were dragging the kids around the large cucumber museum, Rafe Dix had been trying to find somewhere to park his 12 buses. <laughs> Excuse me, parking attendant bloke, he'd shouted at about 15 different car parks. Have you got room for my gold bus and the other 11 buses I'm towing behind? The answer had always been no, and so Rafe had spent the day driving his convoy of buses, all roped together with gold rope, around the streets of Plymouth until it was finally time to board the ferry. Hi, ferry attendant bloke, he shouted, as his gold bus reached the front of the queue. How much will it cost to take my 12 buses to Spain? <laughs> How many passengers, Jockey Sweetheart? asked the ferry attendant, who was a woman. Four adults and 18 halves, please, replied Rafe Dix. OK, so that's uh, 18 children, four adults and 12 bushes. <laughs> That'll be um, a million pounds, please. Jeez, mate, that's a bit steep. <laughs> <laughs> Who did have a bag of money, but wasn't sure it had a million pounds in it. Could you <laughs> come down on the price a bit? Say, uh, ten, ten pounds? <laughs> No, it's a million pounds, jockey love. <laughs> Rafe looked despondently at his feet and was struck with an idea. Do you accept diamond-encrusted crabs? He asked. <laughs> Meanwhile, the three teachers and the 18 kids had met up at a McDonald's near the port, where everyone was waiting irritably while Arthur bought enough french fries to refill his two suitcases. Come along, Arthur, said Miss Stone, flatly, on account of how she was flat after a swimming pool fell on her head. <laughs> We're going to miss the boat if you buy any more chips. Just a few more, miss. There's still a bit of space in my second suitcase, <laughs> and it's a long way to Spain. Be quiet, Arthur. 150 large portions of fries is more than enough. 
Now shut your cake hole, shut your suitcases, and everyone follow me. Miss Stone strode out of the restaurant, followed by the 20 other entirely necessary and distinctive characters. Ha <laughs> ha! Fuck you, they are! No, they are. I'm going to explain why. Oh. Tom Haining and Ken Parker, who had spent the previous night drinking and gambling with a six-year-old boy. <laughs> yes! Carlos, the six-year-old boy in question, who didn't own a single car. Or bus, since he'd given them all to Rafe. Marcus Peabody and his new girlfriend, Amy, who was looking at him with such desire you'd think she wanted to eat his skeleton. <laughs> Jenny, who was also in love with Marcus and had no other characteristics. Derek and Nigel, who were so in love with Jenny that it had turned them gay or something. <laughs> Anne, who was annoyed with everyone and kept saying she was a temp, even though she was a school child. <laughs> Alison, who... Paul! <laughs> who liked God and thought that any problem could be solved by opening a shop. Tommy, whose mouth was so big he could fit a grenade in it. Yeah. Danzy, who... Brent, <laughs> who was Britain's youngest novelist and thought that gold hotels were a bit working class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cara and Sarah, who yeah. were so evil they wouldn't piss on a bus driver if he was on fire, although they would throw balloons of piss at him if he wasn't on fire. Mm-hmm. Buck and Catherine, who had intellectual conversations and consequently had only been mentioned once in the whole story. <laughs> and trailing behind, dragging his two suitcases of chips, Arthur, the enormous, endlessly hungry boy in the tight-fitting school uniform. All key kids, said, <laughs> said Tom Haining, yeah. once they had boarded the ferry. I still got a lot of money in my big bag <laughs> Money. And I I got to spend it before midnight tomorrow (laughs) if I want to inherit 300... 300 million dollars from my weird dead Uncle Rupert. Oh, goodness, yeah. So I got everybody a luxury cabin each. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Except Miss Stone because she don't sleep. She just she just woke up and down the corridor all night like a terrifying cyborg from the future. Mm. Hey, that gives me an idea for a story, said Brent. A cyborg from the future. But she's got a human heart and brain and lungs <laughs> and and kidneys <laughs> and esophagus. Yeah. I, I think you've done that one already. <laughs> I, I think you've done that one already, said Danzy, who was probably going to get a lot more lines in this chapter on account of his voice being easy to do. You're wrong there, Danzy, said Brent. This one's different because she's got a human esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to be on this boat for 24 <laughs> hours. So behave yourselves and don't play with the lifts. I'll rub the snack machines. I'll drop a swimming pool on someone's head. <laughs> yes, agreed Deputy Head Ken Parker. And don't be drinking any of the alcohol in the unsecured mini bars, which all your oh. rooms are equipped with. Especially not the absinthe, which will apparently make you hallucinate gorillas. Kara and Sarah giggled then ran off in the direction of the elevators. Hmm. Hey, look at this, blokes, said Rafe Dix. It's a map of all the amenities on board the ship. 
Here we are now. Here's where we are now in the boarding area. There's the passenger lounge right next to us. Over here is the disco and bars. Better make a note of that, Carlos. You'll be uh, you'll be wanting some fresh milk later on. Here's the TV rooms. Here's the TV rooms that only show gay movies. Here's the swimming pool. One floor below that is the all-night shopping precinct. <laughs> Up here is the luxury cabins, and here... Rafe stopped, like a man who'd opened his kitchen cupboard and found a horny bear inside. What is it, Mr Dix? asked Miss Stone, flatly. It's the casino, (gasps) said Rafe. Oh, God. Well, I'm sure we've all learned our lesson after last night's (laughs) debacle, said Ken Parker. Yeah, sure, mate, said Rafe, picking up his bag of money with one hand and Carlos with the other. (laughs) If you need me, I'll be by the roulette table. Everyone else split off into the groups they felt most comfortable in. Tommy, Brent and Danzy went in search of machines to rob. (laughs) Nigel and Derek wandered nonchalantly in the direction of the TV rooms, trying to look like it didn't matter which one they ended up in. (laughs) The girl characters went for a midnight (laughs) feast even though they didn't have any food and it was 11am. <laughs> and Buck and Catherine had a conversation about string theory or something, the intellectual idiots. I feel like um, you're definitely going for sequel territory and as oh, much gotcha. as you're not trying to break any new ground, you're oh, just going to no. repeat everything that happened. That's all that's going to okay. happen, yeah, get settled in. That's, this is the, very much a setup for how it's going to be. Because I was thinking of all the wonderful things that could have been on that boat if like, yeah. young Howard had written it. Oh, yeah, well, I, I don't try... I'm not going to try and be It would have been a roller young coaster Howard. on yeah. that boat. <laughs> No, you've just heard everything that's on the boat. Okay. He, looked, he looked at the map and that's, there's no big surprises here. Marcus Peabody watched all this and sighed. Nothing ever changes, he thought. People keep doing the same stupid things over and over. There are no surprises. On the bright side, he reassured himself, in such a predictable world, you won't ever be taken unawares by someone unexpectedly hitting you with a stool and eating your skeleton. He was about to find Amy and suggest they went to his cabin and put her tights on his head again, when everyone was shocked into silence by a scream. Then Amy's panicked voice shouting, She's dead! Someone's killed her! Someone's killed! Jenny! Oh my god! Chapter 2 The Curious Incident of the Jenny in the Dead Time. Ken Parker, Tom Haining, Miss Stone and Marcus Peabody rushed into the passenger lounge where Amy was whimpering over the distinctly dead body of Jenny. Oh my God, one of them's dead, (laughs) said Ken Parker, wrapping his cape around himself like a particularly short and nervous superhero. I don't know if you remember this, but Ken Parker wears a cape. Yes, this was kind a perfectly of a, normal T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> with a normal average cape on, yeah. yeah. Which was established right at the beginning, but then I, I, I kind of forgot about it because it's like not really mentioned again. Is it? <laughs> but when I heard that, I was like, oh, I've got to mention his cape as often as possible. <laughs> I'll never become headmaster now, no matter how bushy my moustache. <laughs> yeah. What could do that to a person? Asked Miss Stone. I mean... Look at her. She's been completely and utterly... We can all see what she's been completely and utterly, (laughs) said Tom. Maybe we should put a sheet over her before any of the other kids see what she's been completely and utterly. Something like this could scull them for life. I mean, it's too late for Marcus and Amy, but (laughs) they too stupid to have much of a future anyway. Excuse me, said Amy. 
I suppose Marcus might make something of himself, as long as that something is dinner. <laughs> After all, he do have that delicious skeleton. <laughs> but Amy... <laughs> told you there were a lot of jokes about that. Yeah. But Amy, she might as well kill herself now as live through the series of disappointments she gonna call life. <laughs> Amy's face became wet with the tears she had decided to expel from her eye ducts. I didn't do it many times, but occasionally I tried to write a sentence like That's you. Good, yeah. And Amy's face became wet with the tears she had decided to expel from her eye ducts. Mm. That was one of my, I think, when I really captured it. <laughs> Thank goodness there's no other children here to see it, said Tom Haining. Oi, I'm here, said Arthur, looking up from where he was just finishing his first suitcase of chips. Thank goodness none of the other children saw it, said Miss Stone. The important ones are still oblivious. Maybe we can still cover this up. I saw it, said Arthur. If we throw her in the sea, <laughs> then run away to another room on the boat, there'll be nothing they can do, because we'll be in a different room... And the Rosas will be in this one. It's the perfect crime. <laughs> Arthur closed the large container he had been eating out of. It was a suitcase. <laughs> and it was now closed because Arthur had closed it using his hands after he had eaten all the chips out of it with his face hole. Actually, I've got a bit of bad news for you there, said Arthur. What are you talking about, fat kid? Said Tom Haining. My name is not Fat Kid, oh. said Arthur, looking down at Tom Haining and the other teachers from his standing height of 2.1 metres. <laughs> or six foot seven if you can only measure things using imaginary body parts. <laughs> well, what is your name then? <sighs> demanded Miss Stone, flatly. My name, said Arthur, scratching his face as if he were tempted to pull it off, is Gret Binchley. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Everyone stared at Arthur, as if noticing him for the first time. I thought your name was Arthur, said Miss Stone, flatly. That was all part of my cunning ruse, said Gret. I'm working undercover as a child, and no one ever noticed. <laughs> Actually, now I look at him, he is an enormous adult man in a child's <laughs> school uniform, Ken Parker observed. I'm surprised I didn't notice that before. <laughs> if you're not a schoolboy... Who are you? asked Miss Stone, flatly. I told you, I'm Gret Binchleaf, the private detective who solved the case of the missing pigs. Oh, there they are behind that wall. <laughs> I've been hired by Prince Ujimaflip of Lazy Pillockland <laughs> to keep an eye on his son, Carl Gotkars. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Carlos? Oh, yeah, that's right. He won't be called Carl Gotkars until his 18th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> when he inherits his father's car industry. <laughs> anyway, I've got to make sure he doesn't die because Prince Wasname thinks there's a plot to steal the throne of Idle Wazak World. I told him, why would anyone want to steal your chair? You can get chairs from Ikea for £10. But hey, if he wants to pay me 200 quid a day plus expenses to keep an eye on his chair or son or whatever, then I'm not going to complain. Except just then when I did complain. Yeah. Very well, Mr. Binchleaf. Then perhaps you'll assist us in working out what happened to dear Jenny here. I'm sure her parents will want to know. Yes, and I'll start 
by investigating the snack machine. <laughs> Don't you want to examine the body? What? Oh, um, no thanks. I mean, she may be quite hot and boobered, but <laughs> I think considering she's both 14 and dead, I'll probably give it a miss. My point, Mr Binchleaf, is that she appears to have died in a somewhat unusual way. That could well be a clue. What kind of a weapon could leave a person completely and utterly... Listen, old lady Stone, you don't tell me how to be a detective and I won't tell you how to teach scientific studies. Or that that's not actually a subject. OK. Gret didn't Is it wait... Daleks, don't tell me. Some just... <laughs> Gret didn't wait for an answer. He stormed off in the direction of the elevators like a particularly irritable storm that thought nothing of stamping on houses or punching cows into space. Well, said Ken Parker, I don't suppose there's much else we can do for poor Jenny. Perhaps we should go and meet Rafe in the casino. <laughs> Chapter 3. Alison's Adventures in Dedderland. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dan Z, give me the F2G skeleton key, said Tommy. I think you mean the F3G, said Danzy. Hey, what the shit, dude? Who are you? Are you the leader? What's your name? Is it No Witch Skeleton Key Tommy Once Man? Is that your name, Danzy? No, my name's Daniel. Daniel Tective. Oh, I thought you knew that, Tommy. Crapping egg, Danzy. Just give me the key, dude. Which one? The F2G or the F3G? Nida, give me the S500, said Tommy. <laughs> Danzy reached into Tommy's skeleton key bag and took out the sledgehammer. <laughs> this should do the job, said Tommy. Hey, Brent, is anyone coming? No, Brent shouted back. The coast is absolutely clear. Well, except for Arthur, but, you know, who cares about him? Okay, then. One, two, three, timber! The sledgehammer hit the glass front of the snack machine like a sledge with a hammer glued to it. The glass decided to shatter into hundreds of tiny shards, which all chose to tumble to the carpet, which elected to be landed on by them. It's good. OK, everyone, grab all the snacks you can carry. Then we can go and find Paul and open a shop. <laughs> yeah. What the bleeding bumwasser are you three brain muffins doing? demanded Gret Binchleaf. Shut up, Arthur, you pointless loser, said Danzy, or we'll flush your head down the toilet again. Actually, there'll be no more head flushing, said Gret. But before he could explain that he was an adult man in a child's school uniform, and therefore an inappropriate subject for further bullying, there was a scream from a nearby cabin. Gret left the three boys to fill their bags with snacks, promising himself he'd come back for the leftovers later, and rushed into the open cabin from which the scream had ejaculated. <laughs> <laughs> She's dead, Claire was crying. She's dead as a big dead whale that's been harpooned by an evil whale-murdering anti-whale gun. On the bed, Gret saw the distinctly dead and somewhat mangled and bloody corpse of... Anne. Oh, loudmouth Anne. This must be what she meant, said Alison, when she said she was a temp. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing coming in our room? 
<laughs> Paul's got on the line, right? Yeah. What are you doing? Coming in our room? <laughs> Why are you in our bedroom, Arthur? <laughs> what? I suppose you'll be wanting to uh, get married now, will you? <laughs> I bet you would. I bet you'd like that. Get married to me in a nice Christian ceremony, then deflower me with God's blessing. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> Shut up, Paul, you dribbling twit. <laughs> said Gret. <laughs> now listen up, you lot. My name's not Arthur. It's Gret Binchleaf. I'm an undercover detective employed by Carlos's family, and I'm now investigating the case of Jenny and Anne's tragic deaths. Gret who? asked Claire. Gret Binchleaf, the celebrated sleuth who solved the case of the levitating babies and simultaneously solved the case of the missing helium. <laughs> now move aside and let me examine the evidence. Mm, Paul, Alison and Claire stepped away from Anne's body. Hmm, said Gret. Yes, I see. Just as I thought. Gret stood up and looked at the girls. She's dead, he declared, as dead as my underpants. And let me tell you, nothing survives being inside Gret Binchleaf's trousers. Nothing! How did she die? asked Claire. What kind of a weapon can do that to a person? I mean, she's been completely and utterly no ordinary weapon, Gret interrupted. I might even go as far as to say no human weapon. What? You mean some kind of... Dog weapon? <laughs> asked Alison, whose confidence was greatly improved now Anne was too dead to keep stamping all over it. Yeah, I mean, some kind of dog weapon. Well done, Alison. I think we all liked you a lot more when you were too nervous to say stupid things like, is it a dog weapon? <laughs> Alison burst into quiet, timid tears and Gret laughter. <laughs> Yes. What kind of a man goes around making little girls cry? Said Claire. I'll have you know I'm 650% man, said Gret, who was one of those men who is very capable of feeling emasculated by an eight-year-old girl and then see her as an opponent whom he has to beat. The type of man who starts an argument with that eight-year-old girl, loses the argument with the eight-year-old girl on account of being a rampaging simpleton, but also doesn't realise he's lost the argument, also on account of being a rampaging simpleton, and so goes off to celebrate how brilliant he is for winning an argument against an eight-year-old girl, which everyone else knows he completely and embarrassingly lost. Footnote, for more examples of this type of man, see the internet. <laughs> I'm also 2% chicken and 10% crab. <laughs> and I'm 100% leaving. Gret walked towards the door, patting himself gently on the head for some reason. <laughs> Where are you going? asked Claire. Someone's using a mysterious space weapon to murder kids. I haven't got time to stand around here explaining to you why you're wrong, which I'd be very capable of doing if I had time. I've got to go and check no one's killed any of the other short pillocks. Gret thundered out of the room, leaving the girls with a dead body and a feeling of frustration that he would never know what an utter prat he was. <laughs> Elsewhere, Derek and Nigel were trying to find a TV room that was showing a film they liked the sound of. Mm. This one's showing Attack of the Naked Space Women from Planet Boob Out, <laughs> said Derek. Wow, well, I mean, that sounds great, you know. Like, <laughs> I love boobs and women, but maybe we should try the next one just in case. Mm. I think you're right. <laughs> After all, the next TV room might be showing a film with even more boob than women. You know, <laughs> and that would that would be better, wouldn't it? It'd be a better thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, it's it's great being 
totally heterosexual and liking boobered women, isn't it, Derek? Boobered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it must be awful being gay and having to look at pictures of naked, muscular men with oil all over them and maybe wearing speedos and dancing together and rubbing themselves up against each other and penises. <laughs> Derek and Nigel walked along the corridor to the next TV room and looked at the sign. So far, they'd rejected clothes-eating bacteria on the planet of the Amazonian girl models, bum cheeks Barbara and her nudie sex circus, and tits tannic. <laughs> the story of some boobs that were too big to sink. <laughs> hey, this one looks good, said Nigel, peering at the sign outside the next TV room. Let me look. Lubricated man strippers verted the nymphomaniac firemen from gay world. <laughs> Derek and Nigel looked at each other uncertainly. Um, said Nigel. Well, said Derek, I suppose I've always been quite interested in firefighting. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, like, I've always thought I might become a fireman when I grow up. So maybe we should watch the film for research? <laughs> said Derek. <laughs> research, yeah. Okay, let's do it. If you're worried about the film being a bit gay, what with it being about naked men and having the word gay in the title, I could always suck your gay venom out while we watch it. <laughs> yeah, that might be wise, <laughs> agreed Nigel, pushing open the door. And then I could do you best to be on the safe side. <laughs> Maybe we should do it twice, then we'd be like, minus gay, what, what do you think? <laughs> but Nigel didn't answer. All thoughts of blowing Derek had vanished from his mind. Oh, wow, said Nigel. Oh, heavy, heavy. They're totally dead. Who's dead? asked Derek. Buck and Catherine. Oh, no. They're all mangled up and dead. Derek frowned. Who are Buck and Catherine? <laughs> You know, the intellectuals who used to talk about astrophysics all the time, so everyone ignored them. Oh, yeah, I, I remember. Derek looked over Nigel's shoulder at the two corpses on the TV room sofa. Oh, my God, what happened to them? Something awful. Something extraterrestrial. That's the only explanation for why they're both completely and utterly... Who is killing the less interesting child characters? And what kind of terrifying space weapon are they using? Will Gret Binchleaf solve the case? Or will another detective step in to do it? Find out next week on the... Worst writer in the world Worst writer in the world Worst writer in the world Worst writer in the Thanks for listening to this episode of The Worst Writer in the World. We'll be back next week with the final instalment in this story. If you've already listened to our other shows, The Man by Cow Podcast and Gret Binchleaf Private Eye, and you'd like more stuff by us, then you can get it right now by joining our secret gang. And by subscribing for as little as $2 a month, you also give us the support and encouragement we need to keep recording the many, many other stories that young Howard wrote. Find out more and get some free samples by going to patreon.com forward slash manbycow. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with the final episode of The Mystery of the Golden Bus. He's a stupid, suck-ass, rubbish writer. Yeah.